All right. So uh, we're wrapping up the series, God at the Movies. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that. You've got to be a part of it. Hopefully you got some popcorn. You got to got to do all that good stuff this uh, these last few weeks. Uh, got to maybe even hear about some movies you hadn't seen, or maybe some that you've seen before that you long treasured. Uh, so I, I got the pleasure to be able to tell my daughters that um, I was getting to preach and talk to you about the movie Frozen. Um, you should have seen the elation on their faces uh, because they were like floating and just, uh, you know, I, I've been hearing all these songs obviously for quite a while. Uh, but uh, now even more, I, I don't think I'll ever get into the unknown out of my head. Uh, you know, I'm feeling that right now. But uh, but uh, that's definitely where I am right now. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited we get to use things like, like, like Nick said, like an animated movie uh, to, to be thinking about Jesus, to be thinking about uh, the truths that God can show us even through something as trivial as a movie. Um, when you're looking for Jesus everywhere you go, you see him in some of the most unusual places. You really do. And so uh, uh, if you, as you jump into the movie Frozen... And I'm looking mainly at Frozen 2. But with Frozen 2, everything should be good at that moment for Elsa. See, she's the queen of Arendelle. She's getting control of her powers. She, along with her sister and her friends, have saved the day. Kristoff is preparing to propose to Anna. Olaf is enjoying his new permafrost, and he's pondering life's biggest questions. Um, They're in good places, yet... Elsa hears a call. Elsa's haunted by some bigger, overarching questions to find the truth about herself and her family. Elsa decides to embark into the unknown, searching for, seeking to find answers. Who she is, answers about her past. And Elsa, Anna, Kristoff, Sven, and Olaf, they set out into the unknown. And and, and something strikes a chord in me Uh, With this type of story. See, we live in a great time to be alive. And I know, know, sure, you can find things about life today that's not perfect. But looking back into history, I, I just can't find too many spots that are much better, in my opinion, to live than right now. Even, even so, I, I think it's completely normal to have overarching questions, big questions in life, all at the same time. So, so what do you do with the, the big questions of life? What do you do with those? Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, I, I'm going to be honest here. While all of us are asking these questions at certain times in our lives, what fascinates me is just how complacent I get. Maybe, maybe you're like me and looking back, there's periods of your life that you realize um, there's periods of your life that you realize that you are pursuing hard after the answers of life. Those questions, as you know, they, they can take you a variety of different places. So often these questions lead you to answers that can often lead to actually more questions than answers at times. But to be transparent, I, I've, I've not arrived I haven't gotten to a spot where all of my questions are answered and I'm just at a good spot or something along those lines. Yet maybe you're like me and your search has slowed. My, my fire for finding answers, my curiosity, my questions, my sense of wonder has, has seemed to wane in the years. It's easy to think that 
because I'm up here and I, I'm, I'm up here sharing that I've got all my stuff together. I, I don't. Um, I often find that I end up just coming up here trying to share pieces of what God's showing me with you. And um, just a little bit of that truth, hoping that it can convey in some way some of the things that God's challenging me with. Some of the things that he's convicting me of and he's working on with me. So when it comes to stories like this, where the main character wants to find answers and to go out searching... It it reminds me of similar longings within me. See, I I love the character of David in the Bible. If if you were here last week, Pastor Chris told the story of David and and a friend that had a really great name. Um, I I love looking at David's life because you, you see the beauty and the pursuit of God. But at the same time, you also see his failure right there in front of you. I, I see David's great faith, and I'm inspired. I see his great passion, and I, I want that in my own life. You see, David, at the end of his illustrious life, and, and, and he's giving a charge to his son Solomon. And I, I think you get, you get to see a glimpse of his heart for, um, for, for his son and for what he wants for his son. And so in First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, it says this, and you, Solomon, my son, I know, know, Solomon, my son, know that God, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And, and this is what I want true of my life. I want my life to be about knowing Jesus. I want my life to be about serving Jesus with a whole heart and with a willing mind. I I think that this is what it looks like to seek him. Look at that promise, too. It says, to know that as we seek him, we'll find him. I I hate looking back and and thinking about some of the closest times that I've had with Jesus are, are years ago. Years ago. How sad is it that sometimes when I think about my prayer life, I think that sometimes my prayer life was probably most on fire maybe 18 years ago or something crazy like that. And maybe that's when I was taking risk for Jesus. Maybe it was back in college or some other time. But I want to explore a little bit of David's life and see what does it look like to seek God with our whole heart. And and so we're going to look at what leads to that seeking. Maybe even some of what makes us stray from some of that seeking. So as we do that, um, I, I, I can't help but think, I wonder what the movie would have looked like had we seen a movie between Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. You have to wonder that maybe they would just be enjoying their life. Maybe they would just be singing songs and building snowmen and just, I don't know, just doing their thing, right? Maybe there'd probably be a lot of hashtags involved or something, right? Um, but, but what do you do in your life when things are going decently well? Now, don't, don't hear me saying perfect because that's not what I mean. But, but what do you do when life is going fairly well? Are you one of those who's waiting for the next bad thing to happen? Now, I'll be honest here. Are, are you one of those that when everything is going good, you're just thinking that, man, it just can't stay this good much longer? Now, having four 
kids under five, um, for me, I'm always waiting for the next snotty nose or the next you know, sick kid or something along those lines. But the truth is that all of us, we have some tendencies when it comes to the good times. So often I find myself tr- trending towards complacency during those good times. And, and, and why is that? I, I just tend to get so caught up with going through the motions of life. Even, even in my spiritual life. Uh, think with me though. Are you more likely to, to read your Bible when everything is great or when your life's falling apart? Yeah, me, me too. When, um, when, when is your prayer life having its most reps? Right? It's when, when life is hard and I'm at my wit's end. I think that's, that's when I end up talking to God the most. It's when I end up talking to God so much more. When everything is good... It's almost like I'm afraid I'm going to read a verse about suffering. And he's going to like, okay, I'll put that in your life. Um, or it's like uh, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, going to, I'm thinking um, maybe, maybe God's going to say, consider my servant like he did with Job. Not that I'm on Job's level at all, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I'm just, I don't know what it is. But I, I just tend to, to just get complacent. The scary thing about complacency is that sometimes it, it kind of sneaks up on you. I was just talking to a buddy the other day. And he said that he, he was feeling like everything was fine with his relationship with God. And then he, he went on a little retreat and um, went, had some, spent some special time with God. And God showed him that he was a lot further off than he ever realized. When I think of complacency, I, I, I tend to think of King David. Yes, when I think of complacency, I think of King David. I know that might sound weird. But King David, man after God's own heart, that King David, David and Goliath, King David, King David, the, the mighty conqueror of armies. I think of King David when I think of complacency because of this verse. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David remained at Jerusalem. Like, I don't know about you, but as I just read that, I just kind of say, it just kind of feels like something bad is about to happen, right? You're just like, oh boy. So when the time when kings go out to battle, <clears throat> David, you're a king. Why are you not going out to battle? Why are you still in Jerusalem? And see, King David's complacency at this, part, at this spot starts the biggest failing of David's life. King David was not where he should be, and it begins a series of events that brings on sex, cover-up, betrayal, plotting, murder, family dysfunction. Man, I should read my Bible more, shouldn't I? Wow. This decision brings forth the except for moment. The except for moment. That... um that people are going to talk about for thousands of years to come. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want except for moments in my life. King David was a great man, except for the whole Bathsheba situation. I don't, I don't want um, except fours in my life. Jonathan was a good dude, except for his temper. Jonathan was a good husband, except for that thing. Jonathan was a good dad, except for... What about you? If you're an employer 
and you have an employee who is a bit checked out and just goes through the motions, are you enjoying that employee very much? No. So, so why is it that one of my default settings in this life, this short vapor of a life, why is it that I'm okay giving God just my, my complacent living? Why, why am I okay with that? Now, I don't know about you, but it's so often, it's almost something that I just have to just snap out of. It, and so what does that look like? So if complacency is what I'm avoiding, what do I replace that with? What does, that, what does it look like? I'd say for me, I have to replace complacency with an urgency. An urgency. Complacency says, like, coast to me. Coasting through life, uh, it, makes, it, it means you're not really aware. <laughs> uh, it makes you not prepared when the temptation comes. When I'm coasting through life and the enemy brings temptation my way, if my mind is not consumed with, with being bigger and with bigger and better thoughts of what I'm trying to accomplish, you know, who I'm trying to become, then my mind goes blindly along with whatever the enemy brings. It's easy to go to. Urgency says things like, make hay while the sun shines. Urgency says things like, carpe diem. Urgency is going to use the times when things are good to prepare for when the things go bad. Things will go bad. They will. Jesus is clear on that one. He says that in the world, you will have tribulation. So what does our urgency need to look like? When we see Elsa get called into tribulation, we see her only get through because of those that are with her. And the same is true for us. May the times when things are good be a time when we are building community. Make friends. Let people know the real you. Chris talked about this, some of this last week. We're, we're not meant to do this life alone. You, you hear us talking about doing life together. And so that's basically cross-point lingo for, for life groups, right? And we want you in a life group. We want you to be a part. Because they, it's these people that you're going to share the good times and the bad times with. They're the ones that, you're going, that are going to be praying for you. They're the ones that are going to be cheering you on when the things are good. They're going to, and you see this in the life of David. Like I said, Pastor Chris talked about this last week with, with David and Jonathan. But, but let me tell you about David's other life group if you will. David had a group of soldiers that the Bible calls his mighty men. Okay? His mighty men. And, and this was a ferocious group of warriors that were formidable against any foe. They fought and protected David with everything they had. And there is even a story in Second Samuel 23, verse 16, where three of these mighty men hear David talking about how he just wished he could drink a cup of water from the well in Bethlehem. And that particular well is being, is being protected or being, uh, uh, there's a stronghold of Philistines that, are, that have taken over that, that area. And so David's over here saying he just wishes he could have a drink of water from that well. And just to give you a picture of the kind of crew that David's rolling with, see, he utters these words and three of his mighty men break through the camp of the Philistines to simply get him a cup of water. Now, I mean, do you have some, some of these mighty men and mighty women in your life? Some, some friends like that? Some friends that are, that are there for you when you need something? See, connection is a big deal. It's a big deal. We need to know people. We need to be known by people. But even bigger than that, I think it's leaning in 
to the God of the universe. He wants us to know him. Hear the heart of David as he expresses his heart for God in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, this is not an overnight occurrence for David. It's not going to be for you or me either. See, this is years of walking with God, relying on God, having God come through for him, growing in his faith. God wants us to know him and wants us to be assured of our future with him. That's the heart of our God. If, in the good times, we're using that time to dive deeper and lean into God even more, we're learning truths and asking, learning truths and asking questions and seeking answers, doing that in the good times is the best time to be doing things like that. When everything is going wrong, asking questions about God and who he is typically brings cynical answers in me. I don't know about you. But if I'm, if I'm asking questions like, does God love me? In the good times, I'm saying, yes, look at all the ways he loves me. Let me make a list, right? But in the bad times, uh, no, he doesn't love me, and neither does anybody else. And you just kind of get into your own little, little pity party, right? Reinforcing these truths about God and who he is during the good times provides support and encouragement during the not-so-good times. There isn't, this isn't going to remove the bad times by any means. But leaning in does this. It allows us to lean on the one who said this. That same verse where I said, in, we, where Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. He also says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't just give us, just tell us that everything is going to be bad at times. No, he also comes into the world and he wants to do something about it. He wants to walk along with us in those bad times. So it looks like us leaning into that overcomer, leaning into the overcomer. Now, who better to seek with an urgency, right? Um, the call into the unknown for Elsa kept coming, right? It just keeps on coming. So she even talked about in her song that as much as she tries to ignores it, ignore it, it continues to call her. When it comes to the call of God in our life, I think we often try to ignore it as well. To be honest, the call into the Christian life is, is a, a Christian life that's truly living for Christ. It's not the tamest of calls. See, Jesus does not invite us into something that's easy or simple. He promises that following him is going to put people at odds with us. When you hear the call of Jesus, it, it may be subtle at first. It's not always a blinding light from the sky or, or a burning bush. It, it may start off as subtle as just knowing that there's something more to life than just living and dying and becoming warm food, right? Um, it means that knowing that, that all that is around us didn't happen by accident or by chance. Uh, we, we hear the call of God in creation from King David in his psalm, where he says in, in Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And as Paul talks about just what creation does for us, he says in Romans 1, verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so, that, so they are without excuse. 
so that people will know that, that it's, it's him. It's, he, he's, he's done it. That this didn't happen by accident. It's natural for our hearts to worship. It's natural for our hearts to worship. We set pursuits out in front of ourselves that we, we just end up chasing, be it money or people or hobbies or things or jobs or passions for this or that. We are beings that can become about so many other things. What we often don't realize is that the devotion and worship that we put towards so many other pursuits are actually created for Christ. It's created for Christ. In Acts chapter 13, we see here in the New Testament, they're talking about David. And it says this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. So, what have you done with the call of God in your life thus far? Are, are you hearing his call and, and putting it, put it away? Just saying, eh, decline. Maybe you've set aside for a different season of your life. Maybe you're waiting for you know, the kids to get a little older, go off to college. or Maybe you're, maybe you're waiting to, I don't know, retire. Have you, have you actually considered, just thinking back to that verse, that maybe God has a purpose for your life in this generation? So much bigger than we're even considering ourselves. So much bigger than just being a good person. Or so much bigger than just what we make the Christian walk into so often. No, I, I, don't, I don't know the whole story of what God ha- has in store for me or you. But I do know that I want to serve my purpose for him. That has to be done by answering the call. That has to be done with an urgency instead of a complacency. All of these stories, from Disney to, to Marvel to just about any story that you can think of, they all echo a bigger story that's going on all around us. Why do you think these stories and these tales of good versus evil captivate us so much? There is a tale older than time that we are in the middle of, that we're a part of, and we don't, sometimes don't even realize it. Why is it that our, our sense of justice comes out when innocent people are hurt or taken advantage of in a story? I feel like this is just a little bit of something that our Creator God put inside of us from the start. I think it's one aspect of what it means to be made in His image. Why is it that evil seems so bad and so familiar? It's because we, we have a real and true enemy. It says in First Peter that the devil's like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. That's not G-rated, folks. Um, why is it that every best story has a hero? My kids are playing around the house, and who are they? Are, are they the innocent bystander? Are they are the poor, downtrodden person that uh, you know, is gone in the first act? No, no, they're the hero, aren't they? They're, they're the heroes. My daughters are Queen Elsa and Queen Anna, right? That, that's who they are, that they're just every single time. They're vanquishing the evil ones. They're saving the day. My boys are Catboy and Gecko. Okay, that is who they're going to be, and uh, they're typically fighting the bad guy, which ends up being me. Okay, so yeah, it's, it always ends up being me. But do you know what? In the real story that's going on all around us, we're not the hero. We're not the hero. We try to be, and for for many of you, your cape is showing. Your cape is showing. You're trying to solve every problem. You're trying to fix every situation. But aren't you tired? Do you, do you feel the pressure of coming through another time? 
of doing a little more and fitting a little more into your schedule just to make a little bit more money or just to get a little bit more done. Sometimes I feel like a hamster in a wheel. So, in the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, uh, how, how is that working out for you? Right? I mean, how, how is that working out for us? And, and, and like a call to our hearts, we hear a voice that says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if Hamlet wanted to meet Shakespeare, how would that work? How, how does Hamlet meet Shakespeare? Shakespeare has, would have to write himself into the story. That is the only way that those two characters meet. So if the God of the universe wanted to be intimately co- connected to his creation and knew that the only way to save his creation was by his own hand, what does the God of the universe do? He writes himself into the story. At the perfect time and at the perfect place, God enters the story. God puts on flesh and steps into humanity as the person of Jesus. Jesus is the better David. He doesn't come like the people expected a king to come. He doesn't do what the people thought that a savior would do. Instead, he comes into this world as a vulnerable baby. He lives in the world like you and me, but does it without breaking any of the laws that God set forth to govern mankind. He lives the perfect life and intersects humanity and changes history like no one ever has. His teaching and lessons are respected throughout mankind, but he wasn't just a teacher. His claims were much bigger than that. This lowly carpenter turned world changer is sentenced to die. And with the most gruesome death conjured by man at, the, at, the, at that time, he's killed. This God-man does not stay dead. And on the third day, he raises from the dead, conquering death like he said he would. You see, we are not the hero of this story. We're not. We're all part of a much bigger story that's going on all around us. We've had our debt paid for, breaking the law that God set forth for mankind. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And we are all being called. We're called to see the story that's going on around us. We're called to see the creation. We're called to see the creator. We're called to see this Jesus and not just think, man, he's a good teacher. Here is Jesus. He's your hero. You cannot, you cannot save you. You're looking, uh, you're looking for heroes in the wrong places if it's the mirror or for, or at anyone else. So what, what are you going to do with your call? What are are you going to do with this hero named Jesus? Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you for your truth. God, I I thank you that we don't have to be the hero. That it's not up to me. That instead, I can relinquish control. I can admit that I've got so many shortcomings. And I know that I need you every bit. God, as we are here this morning, God, just wrestling with all kinds of different things, God, I pray that I could snap out of my complacency. I pray that the people in this room, if that's them today, that they could snap out of that too. That they would just have a sense of urgency, 
they would be able to sense you close, that their times with you would be sweet, that as they open your word, God, they would just see you everywhere, even in crazy cartoons, God. I pray that as we, as, as Nick shares this song that he wrote, I pray that, God, you just continue to speak, continue to work on our hearts. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.